This is a podcast from the South China Morning Post. In the year 2016, the hashtag #OscarsSoWhite dominated the online response to the Academy Awards ceremony, otherwise known as the Oscars. Here we are, seven years later, and we've just witnessed a deep change in who gets to hold the little golden statue on stage. My journey started on a boat. I spent a year in a refugee camp, and somehow, I ended up here on Hollywood's biggest stage. They say stories like this only happen in the movies. I cannot believe it's happening to me. This, this is the American dream. I, I need to thank the people who made me the storyteller that I am. Starting with my mom, who protected me as a child, protected the inner storyteller. For all the little boys and girls who look like me watching tonight, <laughs> this is a beacon of hope and possibilities. This is proof that dreams dream big and dreams do come true. And ladies, don't let anybody tell you you are ever past your prime. That's the sound of Michelle Yeoh seconds after making history by winning the Oscar for Best Actress, and she won it for a role in a movie that itself has made history. But it's much more than that. It's a turning point for Hollywood and a turning point for the representation of more than a billion people once described as a minority. The movie Everything Everywhere All at Once was nominated for 11 different awards, and in the end, took out all but one of the top five categories. And that, in itself, helped make history, because for the first time in 95 years, an Asian woman won in the whitest category of them all: Best Actress. And it was also the first time in 95 years that more than one Asian actor received an Oscar. So let's have a talk about what that means. Welcome to a special Oscars edition of the Inside China podcast. I'm Jasmine Se, video and podcast producer here at the South China Morning Post in Hong Kong. And for the first time in a long time, Hong Kong finds itself embedded in the stories of this year's Academy Award winners. With me to talk about what just happened, why it's important, and why the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once is hugely important on so many different levels is my colleague from the Culture Desk, Lisa Cam. Hey, Lisa. Hi, everyone. I'm back. And on the line with us from Los Angeles is a Hong Kong-born actor who made his debut in 1975 and has since appeared in more than 70 films, including Rush Hour, RoboCop 2, Lethal Weapons 4, Starsky and Hutch, and just about every great TV series there ever was, from Mash to MacGyver, Knight Rider, How I Met Your Mother, A Team, and Seinfeld. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. George Jung. Hey, hi, Jasmine. George, we all just finished watching the Oscars. I mean, here at the South China Morning Post office, there was a big cheer when Michelle got her Oscars. Can I ask, what were you feeling when you were watching this? I just saw a bunch of Chinese people. I didn't see anybody else. I just saw I'm Chinese, so I was just so proud that I think my mind was all fucked up, you know, because I've never seen so many Asians up there and winning. Up there, you know, most of the time Asian that、uh, they come out in the background. You know, once in a while you have a couple of Asians in the back. You know, but tonight they were the leading ladies. They were the leading man. They're the best picture. 
and best original screenplay. I mean, you name it, you know, I mean, they did it, really. I, I, I'm just so proud. I'm so proud to be Asian. I'm so proud to be Chinese uh, because I've been in Hollywood for over 50 years uh, in, in this business. And most of the time we were just supporting, you know, supporting. And once in a while they throw you a bone. And uh, so, but tonight is our night to shine. And I hope it's just the beginning of, uh, you know, a bright future. And Lisa, can you take us through your emotions and thoughts while watching the Oscars? Well, um, I'm kind of disappointed that Turning Red didn't get anything. Like that movie, not to play down or everything everywhere all at once was anything less awesome. But Turning Red really touched the hearts of any Asian female growing up in the diaspora and and then some. Um, so, But what we achieved tonight was phenomenal. So Lisa, basically you were turning red when you were watching the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> you were turning red. You were so mad that they wait a minute, you know, how come turning red is not winning, right? Yeah, well, you know, you win some, you lose some, but most importantly is that Michelle had her time. Like, you know, we are so happy about that. And That's um, so, George, in the lead up to this year's Oscars, there was a viral video of James Hong at the SAG Awards. We saw him at the Oscars today as well. And you worked with him in um, Big Trouble in Little China. And you also told me that you helped him with his documentary. You played his dad. Yeah, I did. Well, actually, I've known James many, many years. And James is kind of like the epitome of what a Chinese man Hollywood perceived to be, you know, uh, he likes to talk like a Chinese man, okay? I don't want to say China man because it's very derogatory in Hollywood when you say China man, okay? So when my was younger, when he was younger, we were going up for the same rules most of the time. Of course, because he's the typical Hollywood version of what a Chinese should sound like, should look like, and definitely not me, okay? So I ended up playing all the bad guys, folks, right? So if I go in for an audition and I saw James there, I basically turn around and leave, you know, because I said, no, I'll never get it <laughs> because James will get all the parts. So finally, James said, ah, Georgia, can you? It's okay. If you don't get the part, you double me. You do the stunts for me. I say, okay, I do the stunt for you. You know, it's okay. I mean, it's a job, right? So, so basically, I double James Hong as the stuntman when I'm not getting the part on the side. <laughs> so that means we're in the same movie, or same TV show, but he's got to speak the lines, and I'm gonna do the falls. So, so that's what I've been knowing him for all these years. You know. So finally, he, uh, he he wanted to do a documentary about himself. And they said, oh, George, he's a player part. I said, oh, no, James, you want to be a part of it. What, your brother, your cousin, what? He said, no, I want you to play my father. I said, oh, okay. Yeah, finally, you know, to pick a handsome guy to play your father. Are you selfish? Okay. <laughs> but anyway, I agree. And that was an honor, basically, to, to play. He's a, he's a consummate professional. I love it. And George, you've also been to the Oscars before, but that was actually 44 years ago at the 51st Academy Awards. Can you tell us about your experience during that time? 
44 years ago. At that time, was uh, Johnny Carson was still the host. And then we had that at the uh, Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, just a small venue. And then I remember in the green room, I have all these stars, Sammy Davis Jr., you know, and then I have a skit that I had to do, which is uh, Johnny Carson calls me out, because at that time, there's a lot of divorce cases in Hollywood. You know, everybody is suing everybody, especially the women, <laughs> the wives were suing the men. So basically, the, the gag is that, okay, so he calls me out, he say, uh, you know, in Hollywood, everybody's suing everybody, you know, and then, oh, Mr. Chu, so he, he called me out. And then I came out and I said something in Chinese. He said, Wow, this Hollywood is going to sell. You know, Lam Jay, Jungi, Lu Jay, Lu Jay, Jungi, Lam Jay. But they are in the world, they are in So basically, I said those words. And then, oh, thank you, Mr. Chu. And then he translates, Oh, well, this means absolutely nothing to you guys. But in China, Tang Xiaoping is hysterical. So that was the game. How did you feel at the time? Were you happy just to be included in the awards? Of course. I mean, at that time, I mean, you were lucky to basically to have a job in Asia, you know, as an actor. So every TV show, they have one Chinatown episode. And it's the same story. Sometimes they don't even bother changing the last names. I played Mr. Chang so many times. I don't realize they are. Oh, can, can you guys at least change your name? I cannot not be Chang. And the ladies were called Mei Ling. It's always Mei Ling. I say, why, why Mei Ling? <laughs> it cannot be, <laughs> cannot be Maria or somebody. So at that time, of course, I was thrilled to be there. And I was proud of myself not talking like the typical Chinese man. So I think I look pretty dapper. If you go back, I look like a good-looking Richard Gere version of Chinese. I loved your so, ducks. Yeah. <laughs> you love my tux, right? I love so, your tux. Anyway, so, so basically, yeah, at that time, you know, I walk out like a, you know, like I belong there. And that's my attitude. That's my attitude. Yeah. But then, like, you know, in today's lens, if we look back at what Johnny Carson gag, there were so many right. aspects of it that would be, like, so unacceptable. He He pronounced your name wrong. The fact that you were speaking Cantonese was just you know, categorized as Chinese when there's like, you know, over 60 dialects in China and Deng Xiaoping did not speak Cantonese or... But that's why it's hysterical because I'm speaking Cantonese and it's hysterical because what is he talking about? See, that, that's a different way of looking at it, Lisa. You know, I, I know I could look at it very negatively. You know, mm. say, Mr. Chu is not Mr. Chung. My, my name actually that day... I'm the, supposed to be the accountant, a very dapper-looking accountant. So it's not Mr. Chung. So, ah. so he did not pronounce my name wrong deliberately. So you were playing so a role. That, I was playing a role. That's okay. exactly what. Yeah. And then, uh, the, you know, I leave the punchline to him. You know, when, when he said that country of things is lyrical, it means nothing to you guys. So I, I got a big round of applause from everybody. So I think I did my part. I did my job. So I didn't feel anything... I think feel any negativity about that. I think that's something that we all should learn, um, especially about historical aspects of things when we discuss it in different lenses nowadays. I mean, look at some of the roles that even Michelle played early on in her career. They're not as OPC as the ones that are, that she's doing now, and it's right. on the shoulders of you guys that, like mm. you know, of your representation, of your visibility, that there mm. is now Louis Tan, there is now Ronnie Chang, Aquafina, a whole bunch of characters, and it is off your shoulders, and we shouldn't be so harsh when we look back. I feel sometimes we overthink it. 
too much. We overthink it too much. You know, when you're an actor, you are an actor. It does not mean that you have to have everything, your culture, your race on your shoulder. No, you are an actor. Just like I play so many bad guys' roles that the press call me the Chinese Robert De Niro. So I say, okay, well, that's not bad, right? Chinese Robert De Niro. Then I find out why. You say, wow, because you play so many gangsters in Chinatown. And Robert De Niro plays gangster in Little Italy. Okay, but now you're playing grandfather now, you know, not godfather, you're playing grandfather. And then Robert De Niro is playing grandfather. So I don't mind the comparison. It's okay. It's fine, you know, because I, I went with Clint Eastwood years ago. And I complained to him, you know, why? I have to rob some liquor store again, you know, I have to be a gangster again, you know. And he said, George, it's okay. Do the best gangster godfather you can be. It's fine. It's your job. You're an actor. Think of it that way. And can we just talk about the film Everything Everywhere All at Once? What did you guys think of the movie? You know, when, when I first watched that movie, my daughter, Allison, she told me to watch this thing. You know, I have no idea. You know, I worked with Ki Kwan in uh, the first X-Men. And he was right. He was out of work for 25 years. He couldn't get a job. You know, he was like as an assistant to uh, an understand coordinator. That time, I actually brought Yun Kuei, you know, the Xinglong's uh, uh, the whole stunt team. I took them to Toronto to shoot the first X-Men. And then Kid Kwan was there. So definitely at that time, you don't look at him as an actor. He was a child actor. But with his type, can he be a bad guy? No, he's too small. His face is too kind to be a bad guy. And then a boy next door, he's not handsome enough. So a leading man, he's not tall enough. You see? So he went through all that. That's the reason why he couldn't land a job. And at that time, he did not to make Asian roles. But I just feel that when you say everything everywhere all at once, I was confused. I had no idea what this film is about. You know, I said, Alison, why you ask me to watch this film? You know, what is it about? But there is something about it, you know, that that really kind of like uh, makes you think. It challenges your mind, you know, when you watch it. You say, what, what, what? Did that happen? <laughs> so I, I intend to go watch it again. And then I'm then I'm able to digest some of the stuff. But I just thought that Michelle's performance definitely deserved to be the best actress, you know, because she's so multifaceted. It's not multiverse. The movies are multiverse. But in her acting, she ugly herself, no makeup. It got stuff all over her face. I mean, she really raw. Her character was so raw that the real Michelle Yao actually came out, an actress. Really came out. George, you mentioned how your daughter had introduced this movie to you. And Lisa, this movie is actually about a mother-daughter relationship. Can you tell us a bit more about that? I think currently we've had a lot of strong family, strong mother-daughter relationship or mother-son relationship stories. Um, Minari was definitely one of them. It also played a part in Parasite. Most importantly, Turning Red. Huge Mm. part of the mother-daughter relationship. Because I think with Asian families is that 
our parents and like if not our parents, definitely our grandparents still come from trauma of societal upheaval and war. And a lot of them, even my own mother was in the Cultural Revolution and like an experience that and mm. having to come to Hong Kong because of it. The fight that they have to put up for a better life for all of us is throughout the entire diaspora and then some. Okay, we're not the only ethnic group that has experienced trauma, but collectively as Asians, we all went through upheaval and trauma. And then so they've done so much for our the next generation. They have certain expectations of us and all of us have had experience with that intense love and intense pressure on us. Mm. And we've come yeah. out of it better. And you know, a lot of us come out of it better. We do have our things to say about it, but we appreciate what our parents did, whether or not it was suitable or what we wanted at the time. The sentiment, it is pure love and pure heroism for many of our parents and especially our grandparents. So that's why I think everything everywhere combining that weaving that element with kick-ass CG, kick-ass stunt choreography, making it more mainstream and and just hammering it into the mainstream consciousness on its tight budget is amazing. And apart from that, this movie is made off the backs of all your years of experience, George, right? Like we started off with Breakfast at Tiffany's with Mickey Rooney gluing his eyes up, like James Hong said. That's right. And studios just not feeling that an Asian movie would make money. Now, I really think, think what you may of crazy rich Asians. I feel that movie opened the door to producers saying, hey, Asian movies could make a lot of money and it doesn't have to be some import from Hong Kong or China. We could do a studio production about the diaspora in English and it could be made and it could make money. So, George, what do you think about all of that? I'm just go back to what uh, Lisa said, you know, mother and daughter relationship. It's a bittersweet relationship. It's been around for ages, for ages, and it will be for ages and ages to come. In my case, or my, my wife's case, somehow the, once you become a mother, you have forgotten you were a girl once, right? You were a teenager once. But all of a sudden, they forgot that. They say, no, oh, you can do this. You can do that. And then the daughter said, Mom, what did you do before? A lot of moms, they did exactly what they don't want you to do. That's where the conflict is. Mom, you did that. I said, no, but it's different. Well, what's so different about that? Well, it's for your own good. I said, okay, well, for my own good. Well, but you did it before too. You didn't listen to your mom. How was that? So that's always going to be that relationship between two. So once in a while, I think mom, talking about tiger mom, you want to have control. And your reason for that is that I want the best for them. But a lot of time, the best for them according to you may not be the best for them according to them. So there has to be a compromise there somehow. There has to be a trust there somehow. So that our old way of dealing with our kids has to change. Just like with my daughter, Allison. At first, being a father, I interview all her boyfriends, okay? When she's a prom, I say, okay, tell me what's his name. His name is Tony. I say, I don't like the name already. Well, Tony is not a good name. <laughs> it's a playboy name already, you know? <laughs> so, so, Lisa, I know exactly, you know, what you were saying, that, you know, like, relationship between kids and parents, a uh, very delicate relationship. You know, we cannot use our old ways on the new generation 
too much anymore, you know. And all you can do is that you share the information, you give as much information to them as possible, and the rest of them, you might have to let go a little bit, you know, let them learn by themselves, you know. That's how I look at it. See, because Michelle, look at look at every, everywhere, right? Michelle was so hard on, on, on the daughter, so the daughter rebelled. That's it, as simple as that. I just wanted to point to the ending of Everything Everywhere where Michelle, her character, she apologizes to her daughter. And mm-hmm. there's this new kind of subgenre that's coming up. It's called the Millennial Parental Apology Fantasy. It's where parents mm-hmm. apologize to their millennial children. And there's also Turning Red that could be categorized into this genre. So I'm curious, okay. Lisa, what do you think of this genre? Yeah, it is a fantasy. Um, I don't see my parents or anyone elder in my family absolutely apologizing even for accidentally spilling milk, I think. <laughs> um, I think um, I think once I was playing mahjong with my mom and I couldn't help it because she gave me the tile that I needed and I won big. If anybody's Chinese listening, it's um, Dai Samyun. And it was wow, my mom. Yeah, my mom gave it to me. She never paid me for it. She was so angry. But uh, to this day, you will never hear a peep from her about like me winning that tile. So that's the parental pride level we're talking about here. But mm-hmm. and again, I myself as a mother now, I'm decided to change that generational trauma. So I do apologize and apologize often to my son. Like, you know, that um, even if it's something little, like, you know, we forgot about something or we promised him something, we would say, look, you know, I'm sorry I couldn't live up to this promise this time. We will try and do it next time. Or like, you know, I will make sure that I, I want to break that cycle. But apologizing to millennial children, I mm. don't think that's happening. But have you ever apologized to any of your kids, George? You know what? It's very hard. I mean, the hardest word is say sorry. You know, that's the hardest word to say, you know, especially for Asian men. And uh, a lot of Asian men are very prideful and also due to a lot of characters I play. You know, it, it's very kind of like uh, overpowering and controlling, that type of character. And Alison being my only daughter, and I was definitely very protective of her. So by being protective, a lot of times, that kind of crosses the line, you know, about letting her uh, have her own individuality, you know, to grow as a woman. So we, we had conflicts before. And as Lisa said, most of the time we do not apologize. But, you know, recently now, I noticed myself and said, you know what, Alison, you're right. And that was wrong. And, uh, you know, I was being impatient or I was being uh, overly protective. What <laughs> <Orthosy. laughs> you know. And then she actually appreciated that, you know, she appreciated that, you know, and, and I actually felt good about it, you know, after, after I said it, you know, because now genuine, there's a relationship going on between you two, instead of between you, like father and daughter, you know, authority and submissiveness. It, it's completely different. You know, I, I enjoy this relationship much, much more than before. And can we also talk about Michelle Yeoh leading the way and changing the roles and perceptions of women? Um, firstly, in Hong Kong action cinema with her role in Yes, Madam, and that was back in 1985. And then with Supercop with Jackie Chan in 1992. Lisa, can I ask you, do you see her roles in Crazy Rich Asians and Everything Everywhere? Are they changing the perception of the Chinese mom? 
I think、um, her character in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once is very real. I think it was the best way we could present the Asian female genre on screen at the time. She had a lot of responsibility, she was very efficient. And then at the same time, like, you know, that bit about the taxes and not knowing, like, you know, it's also that, that kind of little bit of like a tongue in cheek kind of characteristic. I, I felt that was wonderful. I don't know if you guys actually heard, this role was originally written for Jackie Chan. Now, That's right. what we feel about, Hong Kong feels about him as an actor aside, I'm so glad that they turned this character around for Michelle as well. And let's not forget, I mean, Michelle's been kicking ass for decades. And up until recently, I'm still waiting for the next season of Star Trek. Her as Regina Georgiou in a, like a ruling, ruthless empress in the galaxy, you know, is just amazing. You know, it was a strong female character that didn't have ethnic ties because, you know, way off in the future, that's a really dumb thing to be arguing about. So it was just so forward. So I absolutely love everything, everywhere, all at once, and how、um, the female matriarch was portrayed. And it seems like her career is picking up speed right now. I mean, she just won the Oscars today. And during her acceptance speech, she said, ladies, don't let anyone tell you That you're past your prime. I mean, what does this all say about actors who have reached a certain age? I think、uh, in Hollywood, there is an ageism issue, but probably not as much as in Asia. You know, Asia, when you pass 28, I mean, you are a jing lei le, you know, you are a leftover lady, you know, nobody wants you. But Michelle was out of work for over two years, voluntarily or involuntarily, because she doesn't want to play those roles. Well, only one reason because you cannot afford to turn down those ropes. But if you are just a regular actor, a struggling actor for Asian, there aren't a lot of roles already available. So if you turn down roles, it means you cannot make a living as an actor. It's different than Hong Kong or China or Taiwan or whatever. But here, you get one role every six months. you know? How are you going to survive? How can you be a professional actor? So you'd be a professional waiter. Or an Uber driver, or something like that, to pay your bills, you know. But Michelle was lucky that she made some money doing action movies in Hong Kong. She has a certain nest egg and got a rich husband that she can afford to say no to those parts. But most Asian actors here in Hollywood cannot afford to say no to a lot of parts. Just like before, I cannot afford to say no. To playing a gangster, to playing the same role, because I need to pay my bills. So it's a completely different atmosphere here in Hollywood. So now with this movie, Everything Everywhere, okay, so it's a big R movie. Where does this go from here? Crazy Rich Asian. It came out, boom, bam, bam, bam. Okay, it made a lot of money. It made a lot of money because it was a book. It already got fans. You go to Midwest, nobody knew about Crazy Rich Asians. In America. Same thing, everything, everywhere, all at once. You ask anybody in Minnesota, they have no idea what this movie is. This is basically a movie for the industries, but for the mainstream, this is not a mainstream movie. So after this movie, where did they go from here? Okay, they used their fame to put Michelle Yao into Star Trek, they put Pete Kwan into Marvel Comics. 
the movie franchise. They put them in there because Academy Award winner, Academy Award winner. We Asians in America, we do not have enough babies. We are less than 10% of the populations in the US. So when they made a movie, it's called movie business, show business. It's business. We remember there's a business after the art, art business. So if they do not sell tickets, they're not going to do too many of this with Asians in it. Chan Chi, why they make money? Because it's a Marvel comic. Jackie Chan came over to make Rush Hour because of Chris Tucker and him. You have the black market. So you have Jackie, you have the action. When Jackie came over himself to make movies by himself, there's no box office. International, he's doing fine. But in the U.S., but a lot of the stuff, we start with Hollywood. You're a big hit in Hollywood, and the rest of the world will take notice. Otherwise, it's the flop. Crazy Rich Asian made $100 million in the U.S., and it made $5 million in China. That means the Chinese over there are not supporting this type of film with Asian in it. They are not. 1.4 billion people in China. They are not supporting the Asian film here. I bet in Hong Kong, one out of 10 people have not seen everything everywhere all at once. You just mentioned how there's 1.4 billion Chinese people, and yet in Hollywood, we're still considered a minority actor. I'm curious, like, what do you think of that label? When you say minority, we definitely are more minority because, as I said, it's about box office. You know, when, when they do an Asian thing, why did they put Jackie Chan here in the movie? Why did they put Chow Yun-Fat? Chow Yun-Fat here was a flop. He's a very good-looking guy for Asian market, but when he speaks, I want to kill you, and then the English was not up to par. At that time, the American audience not ready to accept like an Asian heartthrob, which Chow Yun-Fat was, but they are able to accept like an action comedian like Jackie Chan. To, to them, they can sell tickets that way, but they cannot like get Chow Yun-Fat trying to do The King and I. What a terrible choice. I mean, that's a suicidal project. I mean, it, you can ruin a career. But as I said, certain people cannot afford to do that. They just say, you know what? Oh, it's a flop. It's fine. Uh, I don't care. It's something different. But as minority actor, yes, yeah, we will always be labeled minority actors unless all the writers, the producers threw away all the last names. Jasmine, Lisa, George. Forget about last names. Just call our first name. Don't justify that our parents are struggling immigrants from Guangzhou, from Shanghai. Forget that. Just say, we're buddies. You know, three of us are here chatting, talking, having fun. We go out to party together. You know, we go eat together. You know, we go to trip together. It's fine. The more you make this type of casting, the more the kids growing up will watch the movie, they watch the TV. It's okay. We talk with an accent. So what? Why is Asian accent so offensive why is french accent so romantic so beautiful why because it's conditioning we just keep saying oh god you know when antonio Banderas, the spanish is so romantic you know and he can't say I, i'm so excited oh, god, thank you so much you know what i'm saying so it's all conditioning they keep saying that oh we're trying to get into the mainstream no we are the mainstream you have to look at this. We are the mainstream. You see, in Hong Kong, you know, the mainstream is what you're the Cantonese, the Chinese. When you're Chinese, you're the mainstream. In the US, 
is the country of immigrants. It's the country of mixed races. So we should be the mainstream together. Not trying to get into it. Wow, well, I get to vent my my years of frustration on your on your show. <laughs> Along those same lines, can we also talk about the foreign language film category? You earlier mentioned Asian accents, but what about films that are in a totally different language, like The Farewell and Minari? I mean, these movies are both about Asian American families starring Asian Americans made by Asian Americans, and yet they were both categorized as foreign because the majority of their dialogue was not in English. What are your thoughts on this kind of label? I mean, the same year that the farewell got nominated for best foreign language film, *Parasite*, that was entirely in Korean, won best picture for the Oscar. I'm I was very confused. I'm still confused as to what is a best foreign film and what is just a best film. If I take a positive spin, I feel that it is a transition period for Hollywood. Um, the way we consume films and TV shows now are very different. You know, when the, these award categories were set up, you had to go to that small little cinema, exotic cinema, off Broadway or whatever, to see a foreign film, while the mainstream are like you know at the main cinemas. But now that like you know everything subtitles, you just turn on the streaming services, you can watch almost anything. So I would like to think that like you know it's just a transition period on how that what they're calling foreign and whatnot. But I feel that we should be like what George said. We are the mainstream. It's a good movie. It is the best movie this year. It doesn't matter if we were watching subtitles when we we're watching it. If it's the best film, it's the best film. Now going back to the. Uh the category about best film, best actor, best whatever, you know. How do you judge that? How do you judge a best film, you know? Like, what's the drama, right? What's the comedy? What's an action movie? All different genres. Well, how do you consider a best performance? Unless both of you are doing the same part, the same role, then you can compare, you know, especially when you're talking about artistic things, you know. It, it's very difficult to do. And and I, I try to, to get away from that. Academy, the voting, I think, is by the members. I think it's less than 4,000 members in there. In the old days, mostly white Jewish people. <laughs> okay. Now you have a little bit more minorities. Now you have Asians, now you have Blacks. Out of the 4,000 members, they all watch this movie. Say, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. It's good, 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 good. So they get, they get voted in. What about the rest of the 5 billion people in the world? So that's why a lot of times the movie are judged by box office. The people went to see the movie, blah, blah, blah. Look at well, Top Gun. I mean, the best movie was you know, Avatar. Um, they didn't make the best movie. So what I'm saying is all this award stuff is judged by a small group of people. And most of them are in the industry. So when people in the industry, they judge things a little different than the audience. So most of the small films, as you said, you know, Minari and, and all those, My Farewell, no box office, but they won Sundance Award, they won Academy Award, they won all those things because they were voted on by people in the industry. One final question for you, George. How will you measure change in Hollywood after this? And what will you look for? Um, will you or James Hong get a lead role? You know what? I keep asking James. I say, James, when are you going to die? I say, if you die, I can have all your roles. The guy's 94 years old. 
and he is going strong. I say, Jay, please go, please go, so that I can have all your parts. I say, now you know what? See, where do we go from here? Okay, I think right now we have, we won seven Academy Awards. There's going to be projects coming out with Asians in it. So just like right now, I'm flying out on Tuesday to Atlanta to do a TV show. Uh, I don't have to kill anybody, which I like it, you know, but it was very good, you know. And I just did a cameo on the Brad Pitt and George Clooney movie. And the cameo, which is my agent said, wow, there's a George Clooney and a movie, you know, but it's, 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 a, it's a small role. I said, what do you mean small role? I said, yeah, you're just a singer in a nightclub. I said, what, you say singer? Nightclub? I'll do it for free, okay? I'll do it for free, okay? <laughs> but the best part is that it let me choose my song. And guess what song I chose? I chose Moi Sing Hong Jian by Tao Wing Lung. <laughs> I said, you know, I said, I, I love that song, okay? So, and then they said, oh, really? Oh, we love that song. So, so they actually went and got the right for that song in order so that I can perform in it. That's the whole idea. That's going to be more parts for Asians, but if they keep doing Asian stories, so to speak, it's going to dry up. Just like if they keep pulling Changxi, you know, the martial arts fighting, fighting, or, you know, like railroad stories, the immigrant stories, after that, it's going to dry up. The topic, storyline, it's going to dry up because you do not have the audience. You do not have the audience. So, what I'm saying is that I'm looking forward to they start putting Asians in all the movies, in all the TV shows on a first name basis, everything first name basis. So we flood the market with all the Asian faces without specific why they're there. You walk down on the street, you see, you know, yellow, white, brown, whatever. America, that's what it is. Let's make a movie, make a, make a TV show that way. So this way, I think that's the only way that, as an Asian actor, you can move forward. Otherwise, you're going to stuck doing the same thing over again. After a while, no box office. They kind of all say, let's don't do any Asian-themed movies, Asian-themed TV shows, because we have no audience. We do not make any money. That's the bottom line. Um, just to explain the Alan Tam song that George chose to sing for his role, it's um, a very classic 80s song because usually when you think of an Asian singer, you're thinking someone like, you know, a bit clubby, more loungy. They're singing something in, um, like, you know, from romantic era Shanghai in the 40s in Mandarin. Um, this one is very classic 80s Hong Kong. It is synth pop and um, it's got Alan Tam. Well, that's why I'm mine, Lisa. See, I could have sang something, you know, very... <laughs> I could sing that, but instead I think right? I mean, right? It's something fresh, something new for them, you know, right? So I, I just hope that all the actors following me, you know, would have that kind of ingenuity or have the courage to do it. You know, but the industry have to give you the, you know, the opportunity to do it. That's all. It's been a historic night at the Oscars. It's been a historic night for the Asian community as well. And George, thank you for your time today and also for Lisa. I look forward to speaking with you guys next time. Always a pleasure to work with the podcast team. Thank you so much, guys. And keep doing what you're doing. 
Well, as the orchestra starts playing and the credits start rolling, that brings us to the end of this episode, but also to the beginning of something new. There's a new conversation now about what kinds of films we get to watch and what kinds of faces get to appear in those films. George Cheung has spent nearly 50 years in Hollywood playing the one Asian-speaking role or appearing in that one Chinatown episode of the sitcom, cop show, or detective series. And also, as I mentioned earlier, this year's Oscars are far from being the swan song to Michelle Yeoh's career. Her work in film and TV just seems to be increasing. She spent three years playing a captain in Star Trek. She's in the new Witcher Blood Origin series. And her next listed role is in an upcoming TV series called American Born Chinese. That's alongside Ki Hui Kwan, Daniel Wu, Stephanie Hsu, Ronnie Cheng, and James Hong. It will be having its world premiere screening at South by Southwest in Austin next week and gets released on Disney Plus in May. But as you heard George say at the end of our interview, it's more than just telling the stories of Asian American immigration. It's who gets to play roles in all the other films being made. I do hope you enjoyed this special episode. And don't forget, keep up with Lisa Cam and the Culture team filing their stories at scmp.com. My name is Jasmine Se. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.